0: Hey, welcome to the afikra podcast this is another episode in our Matbakh series and on this episode we have the rock star anisa Hello. anisa is a chef a cookbook author a photographer an artist a writer it seems like she is everything it is an absolute treat to be able to speak with her this is the slightly edited down version if you want to listen to the full version go to our youtube page youtube.com afikra to watch and to hear the entire episode I hope you enjoy this. Please tell your friends about this feed. We're trying to grow the community bit by bit, so please let people know. And hopefully, we will see you at one of the events, afikta.com slash RSVP. To hear about them, you can listen to the live recordings and chime in at the end. All right, enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody. My name is Mikey Mahanna. I'm going to be the host of today's evening. Uh, Very happy to see you all here. It is my absolute honor to welcome our special guest. Anissa Helo is a chef, food writer, journalist, broadcaster, consultant, and blogger focusing on the cuisines and culinary heritage of the Middle East, Mediterranean, and North Africa. Born and raised between Lebanon and Syria, she knows the Mediterranean as only a well-traveled native can. Anissa is the author of numerous award-winning cookbooks, including Sweet Middle East, Levant, The, fr- the Fifth Quarter, An Offal Cookbook, Modern Mezze. Savory Baking from the Mediterranean, Mediterranean Street Food, Cafe Morocco, Lebanese Cuisine, and Feast, Food of the Islamic World. Anissa has won numerous awards and acclaim, including the James Beard Foundation International Cookbook Award, Gourmand uh, World Cookbooks Award, Food and Wine magazine selection of, uh, of the best of the best, and many, many more. It would take me 10 minutes to read all of them. Anissa, welcome to Afik al-Matabakh. is an honor to have you here.
1: Thank you, Mikey. I'm delighted to be with you.
0: Let's start with one of the sentences I said, which was that you, um, you grew up between Lebanon and Syria. From what I understand, you weren't a five-year-old a child dreaming about becoming a cookbook author. What were your uh, aspirations, your professional dreams and uh, passions as a young child? At five years old?
1: Uh, I, think I, I, only, <laughs> I think I was only concerned with eating, not even playing, because I was a kind of weird child. Um, <clears throat> no, when I was a teenager, my first ambition, to the delight of my father, was to become the Marie, the Marie Curie of the Middle East. That didn't last very long, because I have no scientific I mean, expertise or even desire to have it. But I I love the idea. I mean, I've always been fascinated by independent women from when I could understand. Then I very quickly understood that I wasn't going to become a scientist because I was hopeless and I skipped chemistry and, and physics at school. Like, I mean, I don't think I ever went to a single class. And then as a teenager, very early on, I think I was 15 or 16, um, I was an avid reader anyway, but I discovered Albert Camus and the French existentialists. And that's when I made a vision for my... I mean, that's when I established what my future was going to be like. Mainly influenced by a particular book called L'Invité, which was all about a sort of uh, independence and also free... I mean, free love is a kind of slightly weird notion, but sort of a free partnership, let's say, be, between her and, and Jean-Paul Sartre. Very soon after I had read L'Amite, um, you know, I mean, you know, in the Arab world, people come and ask the hand of, you know, the, the daughters. So we had in my family, well, first there was a cousin we all hated, and we were supposed to marry him one after the other, and we all said, no, 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 there is no way.
0: I wonder um, how long it took for him to get the message
1: he got it very quickly <laughs> um, and then there was this woman mother and 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 man young man she was dressed in black so she was mourning her husband i mean i remember very little because it's a long time ago but anyway she came with her son to ask for my hand and i was like 16 or 16 and a half and you know my mother offered her coffee and whatever and then she asked me what i wanted to do in the future and i said lots of things but one thing i'm not going to do is get married <laughs> and that was the end of the conversation she dragged her son away and my mother was absolutely furious with me i mean i've told the story many times but it still tickles me because i was like very bullshit at a very early age
0: do you feel like um the interest in existentialism and reading and writing uh, led you directly into the arts or was that also a uh, circuitous path
1: no, no, it didn't at all, because actually I wasn't even interested in arts, and I was quite ignorant, to be honest. Um, when I went to Athens with my mother, I was kind of um, going around in placa while she was sort of visiting. I mean, I didn't want to even visit heritage sites. But when I got to London, um, I needed to, uh, to have a career and um, and I was living with a man and, you know, we were discussing what, and I've always liked interior design. So my first sort of course was interior design, but I, in a, in a kind of very fancy school, it was a short course, but I realized very quickly that I didn't want to be at the beck and call of people. You know, if I wanted to design a house, I wanted to design the way I saw it, not the way they saw it. So I gave up, and then I, very, I met Zaha very early on in Zaha Hadid in, in, when, in my life in London, and we became friends instantly, and we were discussing what I should do, and she suggested the Sotheby's works of art. So I actually canceled the trip to India with the man I was living with to go to the interview because I was like seriously excited. And being totally ignorant, I thought I would read a book on Cezanne and another book on somebody else, prepare myself for the interview. And I I was quite clever at kind of you know, directing the conversation to where I wanted it because I knew that my knowledge was very limited. But at one stage, the guy Derek Shrub, who ran the course, who was a great—I mean, not a very nice person—he's dead now. I shouldn't talk badly about him. I mean, he was very strict and severe, but he was a great teacher. And he asked me about Meissen. <laughs> I didn't know about Meissen porcelain, and I said who? But very quickly, I realized, you know, that it was a mistake. And I mean, they accepted me and that's how I started in the art world.
0: It's funny because this is a like, I feel like there's a constant thread. There's an interesting thread throughout your life and it actually leads uh, nicely into the story of how you eventually decided to develop your first uh, cookbook, the highly acclaimed Lebanese cuisine. Um, Also walking in, not knowing what you should be, (laughs) not knowing what you should be doing. Um the the story I think the story goes that somebody recommended uh that that you work on this book and that somebody was looking for uh looking for a, a cookbooks about the uh, the Le- Lebanese sort of region Lebanon and the Arab world is that right Well it started with a conversation I had acquired a, a
1: literary agent to actually write about collecting because I was collecting um with with limited means and I wanted to write a book about people who kind of anticipated trends and were able to form art collections with, with little money, but very, I mean, if not important ones, meaningful ones. Uh, but she introduced me to a Lebanese friend of hers who was an editor, Zelfa Hurani, the daughter of Cecil and, and the niece of Albert Hurani, the historian. And they were talking about cookbooks, and I was listening to them. It was the beginning of the trend, it was 1992 the gulf war had kind of pushed me to reconsider my my career because i was getting bored with going to the gulf sitting around with women trying to sell art so they were talking about cookbooks and i've always been like i've always been a gourmet gourmand as well uh, gourmand in my case and and loved food and didn't like cooking because i i considered it as a domestic occupation for a long time and refused to do it But it kind of, as they were talking about cookbooks, I thought nobody has written a Lebanese cookbook for an international audience, for people who don't know it, and with an approach that was more intellectual, let's say, than just kind of recipes. And to be honest, I knew nothing about cookbooks when I threw myself as the sort of possible author of a cookbook. Um, And so... Caroline, uh, my agent at the time, said that she had a publisher who was looking for somebody to write a cookbook, a Lebanese cookbook. And I said, well, I'm your person. Zelfa said, oh, well, why do you want to do that? Because you have Reyes, which is, I mean, ridiculous to think of Reyes as a cookbook in today's age, because, you know, a chicken recipe starts with take your chicken, kill it, pluck it, you know, wash it, and then whatever, do whatever you want to do with it. And so... um, but Albert Harani was very encouraging, and he actually recommended a very small cookbook that was written by a Lebanese woman and I think an English woman in the 60s and said I should look at it and, and encourage me to do it. And but the, 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 the thing was that I thought I could do it in three months because I just didn't consider cookbooks as any, you know, anything as, as a particular literary genre. I just thought of them as manuals. But what I what I did was once it was established that it was a possibility and I started thinking about it seriously, I then acquired mentors. Caroline took me to the Oxford Symposium of Food and Cookery. I started talking to books and and then and not the man I lived with because he had gone by then. But the that present the present boyfriend at the time was a very, very good uh, cook and had a collection of cookbooks and was a, a, a fan of the genre. So I went to him and said, oh, well, you know, I'm going to start writing a cookbook and you have to help me. And then I I met other people and and then I spent a lot of time in the British Library. And and I just that then when I started working on the book and realizing that it was it was a serious like endeavor. Yeah. I started looking at food differently, not as a hedonistic pursuit, you know, like going to markets, looking at beautiful produce, producing, you know, great dishes, enjoying, you know, restaurants, etc. But as basically, I mean, you know, gradually, food is culture. And that's how it started.
0: So there is a great story that you've told about going to your mom and basically saying, okay, I I got to take all these recipes down. Um, and her basically saying, why why would you need to write all this stuff? Why the over-precision? Over why are you asking about every single thing? And you basically re- retorting that this is not for me. This is not for you. This is not for my neighbor. This is for people who don- may not even have tried this stuff. So my question is, what did your mom think about the final product um my mother is never too complimentary so <laughs> <laughs> she
1: would never say this is a great book but i think she was impressed because what i what we spent months bickering about measurements and how you know to i mean because she wrote all the recipes in arabic by the way uh but you know her measurements was like handful coffee cup whatever and always at the end, cook until done, which was like so irritating.
0: Yeah, my um, favorite, my favorite uh, qualifier is put your finger in for 10 seconds. <laughs> if you can leave it for 10 seconds, then it's not done.
1: Actually, this works, by the way, <laughs> not for the yogurt. Um, but, um, but so we we bickered and bickered. But, but at the end, I, I think what was really interesting is that a, I had two reasons to write that book. One to to record my mother's recipes for when she's no longer with us and to replace her as the provider of fabulous food, you know, in our home, not even if I didn't live with my uh, with my family. And the second was for all the young people who were displaced by the civil war who didn't have the fortune that I had of my wonderful grandmother, who did everything at home, my mother cooking fabulous things, and my aunt, who was also good, but not like in the same league. And, and my Syrian aunt who grew everything. So, I mean, I was without knowing um, or even wanting it, apart from being very curious about it, I knew a lot, but nowhere near what my mother knew. I mean, basically, Lebanese cuisine is my mother's book. Mm-hmm. I mean, I should have maybe have been more generous and not dedicated it to her only, but kind of co- put her as, a, as the co-author. And she, and, and she liked it. I mean, she was impressed when it came out.
0: I, I mentioned to you that I wanted to ask you this question. It's a little bit of a cheeky question, but um, I wanted to ask you that had you uh, taken on this endeavor today uh, instead of in, in the mid-90s? Um, would you have chosen Lebanese cuisine as the title? And would you have written the subtitle of more than 250 Mm -hmm. authentic recipes from the most elegant Middle Eastern cuisine?
1: Well, I didn't write that subtitle anyway.
0: (laughs) Of course, yeah. they
1: chose the title. Um, I think, I mean, I don't mind the title so much. I would have, I would definitely insist on much better production values. Uh, the subtitle, I mean, it is it is a very elegant cuisine. Whether it's the most elegant of the Middle East, I'm not sure. I mean, if you take Iran, if you take Iran into the Middle East, then you wouldn't consider Lebanese cuisine as the most elegant. Or even, I mean, Syrian is a great cuisine as well, and Turkish. So um, it's a great cuisine. Also, it's it would be it would be kind of more accurate to say the most popular. Or the best known, especially now that it has gone pretty much global.
0: I believe your next book uh, focused on Morocco and w- looked at street food. I think kind of before street food was cool. Why those two things? Why street food and why Morocco?
1: Well, uh, Moroccan street food was a commission. It wasn't actually my decision. I wanted to follow up Lebanese cuisine with a book on mezze, but the publisher was like took their time and they were. I mean, you know, and then by the end, somebody came to me and said, we're doing a series on street food. Would you do Morocco? And I knew Morocco quite well. And I said, yes. But having done the Moroccan street uh, food book that was very small and like not very deep, I, I thought that street food was really important. And I offered the idea of Mediterranean street food to a friend who was an American publisher, and she loved the idea and commissioned it immediately.
0: When you approach a book like uh, the Mediterranean Street F- food is the is the sort of audience the the uh, the audience in your mind's eye the same every single book no.
1: No, not at all. I think I, I actually don't really think about the audience. Well, I thought about the audience for Lebanese uh, cuisine because because I was like much more focused about it was something. It wasn't a career. It was something that I wanted to do. I mean, when I mm-hmm. wrote Lebanese cuisine, I wasn't thinking about becoming a cookbook writer. I became a cookbook writer because it was very well received and I enjoyed the work and 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 I thought it was you know a fun a kind of fun switch, uh, career switch, that also suited my personality from the point of view that I'm very curious. I love traveling and traveling for food opens so many more doors than traveling for art. I mean, and you're at the, on a different level. I mean, in art, you're kind of in sort of exclusive societies and, and basically out of the real world in a way. Whereas food, you know, I start talking to taxi drivers or to people yeah. in the market or to cook or whatever. And, and it makes life, tra- I mean, traveling much more fun.
0: Okay, I'm going to jump to um, one of your most recent projects, Feast, which was uh, received an enormous amount of acclaim. What about and the idea, let me read it for those of you who are listening to the podcast and can't uh, see the screen. The, the full title is Feast, Food of the Islamic World. Uh, What about this book surprised you?
1: Well, first, the geography, that it hadn't changed so much. The arc of the Islamic world is more or less the same as during the empires. So that was very surprising. Also, what was surprising is that was how many different versions of biryani there are, you know, I mean, when you write a cookbook on the whole, you're learning a lot, you know, you know a lot, but you're also learning a lot because you start researching and you find out a lot more on the subject you're, you know, you're researching than, than you what you had started with. So there are lots of things and the breads, I mean, so many different breads everywhere, kind of en- enlightened um, moments where I found out a lot more about things that I thought I knew a fair amount about.
0: Okay, um, let's get to you know. In each one of these uh, matbakh interviews that we do, we ask the chef or the guest to pick a single ingredient, uh, technique, or dish. And you've chosen minced meat or kibbeh. Why did you choose that?
1: Well, I mean, I'm totally in between. I mean, like I'm half Western, half Middle Eastern now, you know, or Lebanese Syrian. And what struck me about mincemeat is like in England or in America, or or let's say in the West on the whole, it's considered as a cheap cut and they buy it ready minced. Whereas for us, like you would never dream of going to the butcher and say, give me half a kilo of mince meat." You'll say, I want this cut. I want you to trim it, take the fat off. Uh, of course, take it off the bone and then mince it for me once, twice or three times. And then people like my mother would never call the butcher and say, I want half a kilo of kafta. She will go to the butcher and would like laser eyes, watch what he's doing and what he's giving her and uh and so you have kibbeh you have uh, kebab in syria you have uh, mince meat in in lebanon in syria and in turkey is is a kind of fine is, is first um produces you produce fine dishes with it and it's considered a sort of if not i mean expensive might not again might not be the word but it's it's a it's a kind of special cut let's say if you want to use um a sort of common term
0: Perfect. Okay, we're going to do the quick Q&A and then open it up to the audience. Um, Okay, these are four quick questions. What are you reading or watching right now? Uh, I'm now totally
1: obsessed with Korean TV series on Netflix, and I've moved on to Chinese ones, which are really terrible. So recently I watched a very violent Korean series called My Name, where um a girl joins a gang to take revenge and it's very bloody and very violent and i like that and i'm watching a kind of very soppy chinese series which is totally stupid
0: fantastic curveball i didn't see that one coming (laughs) (laughs) okay who would you love to shadow for a day past or present
1: so, you know, a, a film director, I don't know, somebody like Kislovsky um, or um, Louis Mal or um, Tarkovsky or, you know, one of the greats of the cinema and follow them as they're filming, shooting a film. I'm, I'm very visual as a person and I love, I love, uh, I love this craft or this art.
0: Um, what is your guilty pleasure, midnight food choice?
1: My own ice cream, (laughs) preferably saffron
0: ice cream. (laughs) Saffron. So tell me, uh, I I heard you say that during um, the quarantine, you were making your own ice cream every single day. What is your? How how do you do it? What's your sort of technique?
1: Um, I use sahlab, you know, and um, I learned that actually. I learned to make um, traditional Arabic ice cream from a Lebanese cookbook by Ibrahim Zannar. But he uses too much sugar. I mean, I've changed his recipes to adapt them to mine. And, for, and when I'm in London, I use goat milk, um, which actually they use in Turkey. But the most important element is the sahlab, which, which thickens the, the milk and the cream in a, in a different way from the, using eggs, for instance, to make a custard. And it, as you know, the ice cream is very stretchy and chewy. Mm-hmm. And it takes longer to melt, you know, as you're enjoying it.
0: Okay, great. So let's ask the last question: What dish um, most reminds you of home?
1: Um, I guess it's meshi. I love uh, I love meshi, and it's very much um, it's very much a family dish. Um, I mean, I say that I'm not particularly keen on family gatherings. In fact, I hate them on the whole because I don't like you know kind of like too much noise and too many people. Um, but, but there was like, when we used to go to my grandmother who I liked a lot, even though she was quite wicked. Um, but she was a wonderful, wonderful cook and a very beautiful woman. And she made meshe for us, you know, when we went to visit her and it's a dish that takes time that way people help in the kitchen and all this, it has a kind of, for me, it has a wonderful connotation, the kind of nostalgic, also the taste. I love the taste. No, I'm not particularly nostalgic, but I think it's very important to preserve the past.
0: Okay, great. I'm going to uh, open up to questions. The first one is from Ellen. Um, She asked me to read this. So um, could you comment on your decision to focus uh, your cookbooks on purely Middle Eastern, and I guess in this case also Islamic food, uh, versus looking at sort of Middle Eastern-British fusion um, or other cuisines outside of the world that you grew up in?
1: Um, Well, I mean, I've written a lot about um, cuisines um, in off countries that I didn't, uh, you know, uh, I wasn't brought up in. But for me, it's very important to um, understand the culture and, you know, I mean, I would never write a book about Japanese food as however much I love the food or Korean food for that matter, because I just don't know it. I'd have to spend like five years in the country to even consider. Um, so I write about places and and cuisines that I'm very familiar with
0: yeah. and
1: that I understand. Um, and I don't see the point I don't and also I'm not that interested in fusion. So I don't see any point in 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 writing about something if you're not going to write well about it.
0: Perfect. The second question comes from Omar, and he asks a, uh, a question. For Kibib Saniye, is the thinner the crust better, or do you think thicker better?
1: No, 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 definitely thinner. Your thicker auntie... is, is too coarse.
0: OK, great. Thank you for settling that. Uh, Noha has a question uh, I asked you to unmute. Are you there? Um...
1: There's so much variations on the za'atar from the different region. Which za'atar do you like, and what do you think za'atar plant is? Is it thyme, or is it its own plant? No, it's, it's a, it's a, I actually wrote an article for the FT about it. It's thyme, but there are different varieties of thyme. Um, I like Ale- the, the za'atar from Aleppo, which is very different from the Lebanese one, and I like the Palestinian one. Um, but I hate the sort of Western versions where the, the, they use a kind of different time and they grind it coarsely and they don't have enough or, uh, sumac or sesame seeds. And, and in fact, it's like a dried herb mixture
0: as against za'atar. Okay, great. Awana? I Hello, Anita. Just a little thing. I'm a huge fan of yours. I've been following you Thank on Instagram you. for such a long while, and I've actually <laughs> went to a lot of your recommendations in Istanbul and I love them. Um, I just wanted to ask what's new for you? What are your new plans? Do you plan to have like some sort of intimate culinary experience in your new place in Italy, or um, is there a, any kind of business aspect to what you're working on, or is it just personal?
1: No, actually, I am planning on on having cooking classes in Sicily once I restore the ruin on my land. Um, But it's not for tomorrow. But, you know, I kind of I'm on a sabbatical from writing because after the after feast, I felt that I can really top it basically. Um, so, um, yeah, I will do the cooking school and I, I, you know, I was at a food event in Ireland presenting and, um, now I'm on a culinary tour with a friend. So I do things, um, but you know, in a relaxed manner.
0: Okay, great. We have a question from Joan and, uh, they asked me to read this question. What do you think of of the way that some cooks slash recipe writers always seem to put all the spices under the sun into quote Middle Eastern dishes indiscriminately, or always put apricots in, into any dish that they want to be vaguely Moroccan?
1: I'll be very brief. I hate it.
0: <laughs> okay, I have a I have a feeling that uh, she does as well. Okay, Bill, are you there? I am here. Hi, um, Hi. hello, Anissa. Hi, Bill. Good to see see your voice or hear your. Good to see your face. Your hair is looking excellent. Um,
1: Anissa, I want you to come off of sabbatical. It's time. (laughs) What aspects of Lebanese and Syrian culinary culture do you think remains missing from cookbooks and culinary writing? And would you?
0: consider including this in an update to your Lebanese cuisine?
1: I think focusing on the regional variation. I mean, when you think of how small the Lebanon is and how different the food in the South is from, you know, let's say Beirut, or even if you go to Tripoli and you have, I think that would be a very interesting. If I do revise Lebanese cuisine, I will definitely spend time in Lebanon and, and focus on the regional variations.
0: Um, Well, thank you, everybody, for joining. Anissa, this was a real pleasure to have you. It's a thrill to be able to speak to somebody who's done such incredible work for so long. So thanks so much.
1: My pleasure. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for kind of joining.
0: All right, everybody. Enjoy your evening or day wherever you are. And we will talk soon. Bye. Bye. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to watch the full uncut version, go to youtube.com slash afikra. There you can see the full video versions of these podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, go to afikra.com where you can learn about our Zoom events, our live events in 30 different chapters around the world, our social media presence, and our podcasts and YouTube stuff. You should know that everything we do is all towards a mission of converting passive interest in the histories and cultures of the Arab world into an active intellectual curiosity. By listening to this, you're a part of that movement, so thank you for being here. If you'd like to support our work, go to afikida.com slash support and join the hundreds of people around the world who make this work possible. Thanks.